And I want to do, like, we've been uh, kind of working through verse by verse, passage, passage, going through uh, Matthew for a while, looking at the life of Jesus. This morning, I wanted to string a couple pieces together. So we're going to get into something new. We're going to get into another passage, the next passage. And then we're going to go backward, and I just want to pick up a couple pieces uh, as we go. So we are, uh, I'm going to be mindful of my time and our audience, right? A little more energy today. I can feel it. I like it. Man, we have been so blessed. Raise your hand if you're a kid. Let's go, let's go 16 and under. Right? Right? How many do we have? Most of them aren't listening. That's fine. I see it. I see you anyway. Huh? Your little head and your crazy hair. Uh, listen, friends, we, this is an absolute blessing. Right? Our demographic is unbelievable at this little church, and we thank God for that. Uh, he, he keeps supplying because you keep blessing and not cursing. Do you understand? God keeps supplying children because we can deal with them in the sanctuary. We're getting better. We can deal with them outside the sanctuary in the gym. You love those kids that aren't yours like they're your own. The Lord keeps blessing that because you all keep doing those things. Now, if we want to get frustrated that everything's a little bit dirty and there are handprints like five foot and below uh, all over the place, if we want to get frustrated that it's a little noisier or a little more chaotic than we would like in our sanctuary or that it's a little muddier than we would like, listen, the Lord will remove those blessings so we can see what it's like without them. So you all have honored God with the way you have stewarded this wonderful blessing, and he keeps bringing us people and children, and it is a wonderful thing to be a part of. This morning, we're going to look at that in a broad scope. We're going to look at how Jesus deals with children, little ones, big lessons. Um, Last week, we talked about the transfiguration. I'm going to review real quick the last couple weeks. What kind of church is Jesus building? Church on a rock and church on the rock. He is the rock. His message is the rock, and we are pieces that are helping put that together. You have been called to be a part of building Jesus' church. That is an unbelievable mission. It has heavenly consequences. It has eternal consequences. If you're 5 or 95 here this morning and you know the Lord, you have been called to be a part of building his kingdom. Now, when we watch Jesus here in the next couple minutes, we're going to see how these little ones actually help build the kingdom because we're going to watch them use, or we're going to watch him use them build the kingdom. All right? What kind of church will it be? Well, it's an invading church. It's an authoritative church. It is a misunderstood church. We are an opposed church. We have opposition. You're going to run into it. Welcome to the life that Jesus had too. We are a sacrificial church. We give for the good and the love of others. Not just family, but this family. And not just this family, but the community at large. You and I are a blessing, not only to our family, but to this church and then our community as well. Where you work, where your kids go to school, if you and I are living out properly, uh, we are blessing all of those places and even around the world. We are a rewarded church and we will be a rewarded church. Every sacrifice you have made will pale in comparison to what God gives back. Eternity has no limits on interest. It has no stopping point where it's accrued and it's done. It keeps going and going and going. Jesus said not a cup of water given in his name will be forgotten. That's how detailed he is with his bookkeeping. Every time you and I sacrifice, the Lord is paying attention. And ultimately, we are a victorious church. Jesus is building a victorious church. Last week, we talked about the transfiguration. We read it through uh, in three different books. We talked about the idea of seeing the glory of Jesus in what? In intimacy, in the book of Matthew, in fear and reverence. 
If you and I run into the glory of God, it will stop us in our tracks. That passage is so powerful. Why? Because they see Jesus in his glorified state. And then it is Jesus again that touches them and picks them up and says, do not be afraid. We see him in fear and reverence and mercy. If all there was was to see God's glory in its entirety, it would kill us. I hope you understand that. If but for the grace and the mercy of God, we would not be able to stand or be in his presence. So it is that mercy that makes us able to be a part of this church, to have the Holy Spirit indwell us and be a part of that. We saw it uh, in the book of Mark, this idea that we are speechless in, in the midst of the glory of Jesus. When we finish that moment, we have a single focus, right? It's just him and it's him alone. Listen, you are never more earthly good than you are when you and I are focused in like that. Lord, what do you want? What do you have for me? It's your glory. And then all of a sudden, God takes that, our time, our talent, our money. He takes all of these things and starts to just use them more than we ever dreamed possible. And it comes not because we focus on everything. It comes because we are focused on one person. And the Lord uses that and multiplies it over and over and over. You cannot go wrong. And finally, what happens is there is obedience when you and I see the glory of God. Second Peter, Peter would go on to say later on that you and I see God's glory so that we can share God's glory. We don't hoard the blessings of God. We don't hoard the picture of God. You and I see it and experience it. Why? So we can be part that other people may see it too. That's part of how we build the church. And finally, in the, uh, the Gospel of Luke we were looking at, we see the glory of Jesus in prayer. The disciples are going with him up on that mountain. What for? To pray. When they get there, they're going to see Elijah and Moses. And what are Elijah and Moses talking about? What Jesus is getting ready to fulfill. Do you want to see the glory of God? Talk about it in the story of Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection, this whole Easter season that we're walking into, this resurrection Sunday and this celebration. You want to see the glory of God, talk about it in the context of Jesus and who he is and what he has done. I was a nasty mess. He took my place. He conquered my sin. He conquered my flesh. He conquered the devil. He conquered death, and he did so for me. He gave that to me. What I couldn't achieve, he achieved, and then he gave it to me. We're going to see the glory of God in his mission And we're going to see it in spiritual heaviness. When you and I get into the work of God, it will be at times more than our physical body can even bear. And the Lord is going to refill what he requires of us. But you and I need to be aware that it's not easy work doing the work of the Lord. Witnessing to people, evangelizing people. Uh, uh, Some of you will do counseling, right? Like if you have a friend, you're going to become a counselor. You're going to need to talk them through some things. Like those moments are very, very heavy. And when the glory of God is residing over us and he is doing his work in us and through us, those are very heavy moments. We need to be prepared for them. Those are the ways you and I will see Jesus' glory. Now go with me to Mark. Mark chapter 9. We're going to see the next story in this passage. Okay? And I'm reading it in the Gospel of Mark just because I like the way uh, uh, Mark explains it. We're going to see the same story when we go back to Matthew in just a minute because we need to see what happens next to make this connection. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14, says this. And when they came to the disciples, remember, they had just seen Jesus transfigured. That is the story right before. 
It's the story right before in Matthew. It's the story right before in Mark. When they, uh, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, uh, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Verse 19, And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20, And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it is uh, often cast him into fire and into water to what? To destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that crowd, that last line makes me want to crumble. It's hard to stand. It's hard to stand. I'm going to talk it through in a minute. I believe, but help my unbelief. Boy, what a moment of honesty and what a good Jesus that he didn't just turn around and walk off. You don't believe. You don't believe wholeheartedly. Friends, this passage blows my mind every time I read through it. That's why we're reading it from Mark because of that one sentence. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Verse 26, And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. Verse 27, But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why uh, could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out. By anything but prayer. Little ones and big lessons today. Jesus interacts with children. He tells some stories uh, about children. And I just want to string them together for you today. And I want to start in this one. I want to start with this story. Because uh, when we go to the next chapter, we're going to see a piece of why they couldn't cast this demon out. There's a test in Mark chapter 9 and a massive failure. You see, Jesus had already given the authority of the disciples to do these things. That's why this man had brought his son to them. They had already been given this authority. Jesus had already said, go, do this, do that in my name. And this is one that just had them stuck. And this moment is so emotional. What are they doing in this passage as Jesus comes in? What do we do about our children all the time? They do it in D.C., they do it at school board meetings. They do it, we do it in our home as parents. We do it with our grandparents when they're trying to spoil them and we're trying to make them decent human beings. Like there's stuff going on. What are we doing? Arguing. Very emotional things that go on with children, correct or incorrect? Am I being stupid? I got some blank stares, right? Like kids invoke a little extra emotion, right? So what are they doing in this passage when Jesus comes back? Mount of Transfiguration, him and three disciples, they're coming back into town, and the, and the crowd is going crazy. They are what? Arguing. What are they arguing about? Why this demon won't come out? 
What's wrong with this kid? What's wrong with the father? You think the disciples are taking the blame that they couldn't cast out this demon? Or do you think they're like, listen, something's wrong with you all. Like, I know Jesus. You, you obviously don't know, but I know him, right? So they're arguing about what's going on. Some of them are arguing the best interest of the child. Some of them are arguing trying to deflect blame. Some of them are arguing because they are so emotional right now. This father, can you imagine how emotional this father is? They're arguing. There's a a temperature here that is way too high. And this is what happens when we deal with children. We see it in the case of Jesus too. So what is going on in this passage that you and I need to see? Number one, for the kids, here it is. You have an enemy. Parents, you need to be paying attention because until they are old enough to understand anything about that enemy, you and I are the ones that are covering, shielding, loving them, deflecting these arrows. We are the ones that are talking truth and speaking truth into them. We are the ones that are bringing them to church so that someone else can do it too. You and I are the ones doing that. I mean, I've told, I've told the story and even told it to come up in Sunday school again this morning, and, and I'll tell it again. Like when my oldest was little, very, very little, he was around safe people all the time. He was here with you all, this wonderful group. He was at our house with us. He was at my parents' house. He was at Allison's parents. He was with these people that loved him dearly. And at like the age of three, he made a comment one day that told me there was another, uh, there was another party playing into our family time. The comment was simply this. Nobody likes me. My just barely toddler may have still been in a diaper, at least a pull-up, had a comment that he had never heard. We didn't have cable. It was like VeggieTales or nothing, right? So where does an idea like that come from? Kids, young ones, you have an enemy. This little boy, the enemy, had control over him and tried to kill him, tried to harm him. You're at war. Your enemy, the devil, and his minions, and those that are under his power, and those that have followed his lead, they are trying to trip you up. They are trying to hurt you. And if given the opportunity, they would have killed all of us before we were smart enough to even know what was going on. This enemy is in this boy, and he's not content with just making him miserable. He's throwing him in the fire. He's throwing him in the water. He is trying to take his life. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And you and I serve a gracious God that even when our parents or grandparents could care nothing about these spiritual truths, their God is with his hand and arms of protection over us and around us. His angels guarding and watching over us like you are protected and prized. But for the children, you need to understand your life, your faithfulness, and your treasured position. God loves you and you have been made in his image. Why does the devil hate you and I so much? Why does he hate our children? Why does he hate the elderly? Because we are made in the image of God. We are his image bearers. What Satan was supposed to do was to herald the glory of God. Lucifer, the light bringer, that was his job. He wanted to take the throne instead of behold the throne or instead of of, of herald the throne. And so God makes you and I in the image of God. So now who bears God's image? Who bears, who looks toward, who points toward the glory of God? You and I do. You took his job and he hates you. 
We are the image bearers of God. And when we do it right, we point to the glory of King Jesus. And your enemy hates that. You are treasured, young one. For the disciples, what's it going to do? Children are going to show them their faith or their lack thereof. That's why they ask him a question. Why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we do this? It, these children are making them question their own faith, their own uh, attachment to Jesus, their own authority that they were given. Can children test you? Can they make you question? Right? And the crowd groaned, amen. <laughs> it's doing the same thing with the disciples because this is a very emotional moment. And this would have gone a long way into showing about Jesus and his ministry and what his disciples could do, right? And guess what? They look like fools. And so they're called out and they're asking him, for parents, what's this going to do? Children are going to show our lack of control and our lack of faith. This father comes in and he is wrecked. And for however long he has lived this journey with this, this young boy and he loves him and he cares for him and he's going to fall at the feet of Jesus. He's going to humble himself. He's going to show himself humble before the Lord and he's going to say, help me. Help me, Lord. I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. Can you imagine the, the, the emotional temperature of this moment? Children are going to expose our lack of control. Parent, you all right with that? Are you all right with that when they're 16? Are you all right with that when they're 21? When they're getting ready to get married? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one youth, right? And you pull them back, and what do you have to do with an arrow to make it do what it's supposed to do? It's not only when they're young that you and I have a problem with this. This is going to expose our lack of control. You and I think we have things together, and guess what? You have kids. And then you figure out immediately, I don't have enough eyes, right? So you have more kids, and you let the big ones get bigger, and then at least you got extra eyes, right? One of the, one of the greatest days as a parent with a big family is this, when the oldest ones are at least young, are old enough to yell, this shouldn't be going on. They don't have to stop them. They don't have to pick them up. But like just knowing that the two-year-old for a knife is not smart, and so the six-year-old can say, that's not good. Right? And you're like, ooh, that's easier. Life's got a little bit better. The tension can come down just a little bit, right? Well, that's the greatest day ever. But listen, parents, your lack of control, the next doctor's appointment, right? There's a prayer request floating around this church right now that no parent ever wants to hear. It's going to expose our lack of control. I do believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. What an amazing passage to see this father. Flip over with me to Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 17 real quick. I'm going to scurry through just a couple stories just to kind of drive these points together. In Matthew 17, what do we see? We see the transfiguration. The next passage you'll see is that Jesus heals the boy with a demon. That's the passage we just read. There's not as much in here with the father. That's why I read it out of Mark. Jesus comes in and says, because of your little faith, uh, you, you were not able to do this. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and it will be moved. And nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing according to the will of God. Nothing that God wants to do is impossible for you. There's a lot of things that you and I want to do that the Lord is just going to say no to. And we need to be thankful that he does. All right? 
But anything you and I are called to do that God wishes to do, there will be nothing impossible for you and I through the power of prayer and the power of Jesus. Scroll down. The, uh, Jesus, again, foretells his death and resurrection. We'll go over that later. I want to show you one. It says the temple tax. What happens in this story? Uh, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Jesus looks at Peter and calls he and himself sons, right? However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. There's a baby tax here. Who gets to skip it? Children. Kings don't charge their sons or daughters taxes. Rulers don't charge their sons or daughters taxes. You and I are free. To whom are taxes charged? Not the kids. For us, for you and I, we are free. Every worldly whim, every need or every need of approval for you and I, we are free from those things. Now, we honor authority when it doesn't have us do things that are ungodly. We honor authority when it doesn't have us do things that violate the Word of God. We are to be good citizens. But... Of all of these worldly things that have people shackled down, you and I are free of them. Why? Because you're sons and daughters of the king. You and I are free. Kids, when you're going to middle school and high school and all these people are crazy about this or crazy about that or there's this new fad or there's this new thing, you are free from that. If you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and you are one of his, you are a prince or a princess of heaven. You are free to live and to let go of all of those whims, all of those needs of approval. You have one person to grab their approval. And his name is King Jesus. Everyone else, they can be a help, but most of them, especially in school, are a hindrance. They want you to do wicked and evil things. They want you to buy into whatever they think is popular, whatever they think is good, and most of those times they will curse you and your family. The things that you pick up, the things that you partake with those that don't know the Lord, you will bring into your home and you will curse your family as well. Little ones, do you understand what I am telling you? The spirit of rebellion and wickedness the meanness, the nastiness, the things that come from these crowds of worldly people, especially young ones, you and I need to be aware of. And as you get a little bit older, there is more accountability to that where you're not just dodging these wicked things, you're helping push back against them. Some of you in here this morning are old enough to be in the fight and to be helpful. Somebody in your school needs a kind word, a loving hand. Somebody in your school needs what you have to offer. And because we're worried about being uh, approved upon by all of those around us, we withhold ourselves from them. We keep ourselves from being nice to them. Some of us, God help us, need to repent for being mean to them. Listen, some of you in here are old enough this morning. You're in the fight. You have an enemy. You have a mission. You are in the fight. You need to be partaking in it. You are a child of the king 
the creator of the universe. This whole world is yours. You've been promised everything you need to have the greatest life you can have. And it has nothing to do with money or prosperity or popularity. It has everything to do with God in you living out amazing, wonderful miracles every day. You walk into a school system that is hard and harsh and you start loving people properly. You are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're eight or 18 or 98. It's the call. It's the mission. You are free to live. You are free to love others without fear of what happens next. Matthew 18, here's the piece I wanted to attach to the, to the story of the boy with the demon. Matthew 18 says this, At the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That is terrifying. Listen, there are a lot of wicked people, and I'm going to start there, and then I'm going to backtrack on what I want to say. There are a lot of wicked people that you and I look around and think they are getting away with evil things. Listen, Jesus' promise of judgment is coming. And he says it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck than to make a little one stumble. Be better to be drowned in the sea. Now, you and I have mental pictures of people we think make children stumble. Let me give it to you as a church and as a pastor and a husband and a father, if you and I as parents make them stumble over their faith, this judgment will apply to you and I too. There will be tears in heaven because some of us claim to be something we never lived out at home. And because of that, our children grew up and outgrew the faith. Because good for them, they weren't interested in something that was going to be a one or two hour a week thing. Friends, this warning terrifies me as a dad. Terrifies me. To make them stumble is not the pictures you and I see on the news. It is that as well. We're talking about physical things here too. We're talking about some of the teachers in the school system or some of the college professors that love poking holes in children's faith. King Jesus is coming. And you have made many stumble. You've done the devil's work. You've split families, you've hurt things. All of these things will be called into account. But you and I sitting in this church right now need to understand, you and I can make them stumble too. We can make them stumble by pretending to be something. We are not showing up at this church, telling our kids it is important, and then living in a way that shows that it's not. If we make them stumble, we will pay to repent, repent. Fathers and mothers, myself included, repent. Mean it. Let it be real at home. Don't cause your children to stumble because you live like a double-minded person. Don't cause your children to stumble because we pay lip service to things that are important and then we treat them as if they are not. You and I 
need to understand the accountability of being parents, of being teachers, of kids. This whole church is right there in it. Teach a class, you're here with me. You love these children, you're here with me. You watch over my kids, you and I are doing this together. So Jesus tells them, there's baby tracks, walk this way. For us, the kingdom of heaven is filled with childlike faith, not childish faith. Does that make sense? It's childlike faith. If I had enough time to prep this, because I I can't do it willy-nilly, but I would love to just be able to talk to some kids and say, what do you think about your dad? Right? What do you think about even your mom? How many problems can they solve? And like, all of them. Right? Like, I have an issue, and like, dad help like this is broke this is fixed like can we go here can we do this and it just has a magical way of getting done and so for that child whether they be two or four or six whatever it is they start to grow out of that right and then they hit teenagers and they rotate into my parents are idiots we got to catch them before that right you got to catch them before you and I don't know anything got to catch them right before that like what do you think about you man he's awesome like my dad solves problems my dad takes care of stuff I don't have to worry about it what do you worry about where's your food come from tomorrow I don't know Right? Uh, Dad's going to be there, and I'm going to wake up, and we're going to do what we need to do. Like, that is a childlike faith. Childish faith or childish characteristics are what you and I bring these children out of, sometimes with the right hand of rapid fellowship. (laughs) Right? What are we doing? Pulling out, drawing out that childish stuff that's going to curse their life. You know, Christians act like this too, and some of them that have been Christians a really long time act like this. They have a very childish faith, right? My carpet, my seat, my music, my building. Like, those are where they come out in most places really, really fast. Like, uh, excuse me, sir, that's my seat. Like, what? Like, I'm a guest. I didn't know that. Okay, well, can you move anyway? Because it's my spot. Childlike faith sees the goodness of the one providing and believes that anything you need is going to take place. Childish faith throws a fit when you don't get your way. Now, our toddler is awesome at this. He's got it down. So yesterday was this one. He's in the knife drawer, you know, the two-year-old with the knife drawer. That was yesterday at my mom and dad's house. My dad catches him, corrects him. Didn't correct him like he would have corrected me 40 years ago, right? But corrects him, you know, grabs him, shoves him off, and just kind of gives him a gentle, get out of here. And so he makes like four steps, and he's just fine. Then he sees Mama, right? And she's sitting there. And so he's making steps, and he's fine. And then it's, (laughs) where's Daddy? So then he wants to throw the fit even further, get me in it. Listen, that's childish. If he's 15 and still doing that, we've got issues. Right? At two, we're good. We'll get out of that. Kingdom of heaven is filled with a childlike faith, not childish faith. The kingdom of hell is filled with child abusers. And not just the ones that pop up in your mind when I say it like that. Filled with people that have drawn people out of the faith or robbed the seeds of faith from kids. The kingdom of hell is filled with people that have robbed children of their innocence that teach them things they should not be teaching them. Kingdom of God is filled with a childlike faith. Hell will be filled with child abusers, people that have led them down the wrong direction. 
A couple more and we're done this morning. If you remember back Matthew chapter 9, what, what happens in Matthew chapter 9? The ruler kneels before Jesus, right? Parents mature and get humbled when they operate with children. Children matures us and it humbles us. Remember, we are no longer in control. That's a humbling moment. You can either kick against the goads on that and cut yourself up or you can yield into it and be okay with it. But they're going to humble us, right? So when we get into that, Matthew chapter 9, what happens is there are two stories going on. The ruler comes in and says, my daughter has died, help me, right? So Jesus goes to his home and he's going to raise his daughter from the dead. In the meantime, we see what? The woman with the issue of blood. Remember that story? She's been bleeding for 10, 12 years. She's gone everywhere. She's exhausted all of her money. You say, well, what's the problem with that if she's still living? It must not be that bad. She was considered unclean. So she was separated from the religious community because she was considered unclean, like a leper. So her whole life had been taken from her. Why? Because she was an unclean individual. And she's exhausted all of her stuff. So what does she say? If I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And what happens? She does. She touches. And what does Jesus say to her? A couple stories ago, it's son. What's he say to her? Daughter, 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 be healed. Daughter, forgiven. He goes in, he finishes that story by what? Raising that child from the dead. Another emotional story. Matthew 14, what happens? Matthew 14, he feeds the 5,000. Whose lunch does he use to feed the 5,000 plus women and children? Jesus uses children's gifts. Stop acting like the Lord's not at work in your kids. Maybe we should listen a little more when they say stuff. Their honesty, their faith has a way of challenging us and pulling out some things that maybe they see that we don't. The loaves and the fish are not the disciples. That was not what they had planned. That was not what they packed. It was the little boys that come forward and said, here, take it. And Jesus uses it. What else happens? Matthew chapter 15, the woman comes up with a daughter that is sick. Do you remember? Jesus says, it's not good to give what is the children's to the dogs. And the lady says, oh, Lord, but even the dogs eat off the crumbs that fall off the children's table. And Jesus says, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Children teach us our limits. They also teach us the idea that our limits really aren't fixed. Your limitations can go a lot further when you get pushed and pried on by your kids or something that is going on in their life requires more of you. Guess what? Your limits expand, right? Insults, tests, repeated forgiveness, all of those things are, are things you and I would say at 21 are pretty rigid. Like these things are, are pretty set. Like I'm a pretty forgiving person. And then you start having children and that limit goes, right? Matthew chapter 19, last piece. Jesus says this. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away to Galilee and he entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him. Right? Go down to 13 with me. The children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. What are children? They are blessings, not curses. Anything that curses its children, anything that curses its offspring will not live long. It will not be around long to do whatever it plans to do next. Parents, that goes in our home. That goes in our church. God says that children are a blessing. They are a hard blessing. They are an exhausting blessing. But let me tell you something. Quick secret. So were you. 
right? And if you think, no, I was a perfect kid, okay, well then let's take it to God's perspective, right? There's the heavenly father like, all right, we're going through this again today. Let's do it. Okay, you prayed for repentance. I'm forgiven. Let's go. Boy, you really messed up yesterday. Let's do it again today, right? You and I can think, man, I was the perfect child, and then God just kind of chuckles, right? Like, I know more about that, right? The kingdom of heaven is filled with a faith like theirs. Our lives should be filled with that reminder. When you and I water our children, what happens? We end up refreshing ourselves. Last point as they come to play this morning. When you and I water children, when we love children, when we learn and, and listen to them, when we water that and bless that, we end up blessing ourselves. You know, friends, and, and whatever relationship with you have with your parents, I'm not, I'm not here to bring up anything bad, but you know what it's like to have a good relationship, and you know what it's like to have a hard relationship. You know what it's like to be in good communication, good community uh, with your family, and you know what it's like to need to ask for forgiveness, to be forgiven. And you and I need to deal with that properly, but in the context of children, we need to understand God uses children. God uses them in our life to draw us closer to him. He shows us lessons. Jesus shows the disciples lessons through kids. They couldn't cast out the demon as big burly men that had been given the authority. So what happens next is Jesus teaching them why they couldn't. And it went something like this. You don't have the faith of a child. Your prayer life isn't what it needs to be because you think you're self-sufficient or you think you got this. And so they can't do this big thing, and then Jesus teaches them this lesson. I love the way that unfolds. You and I need to have a childlike faith. Run to your father when you have needs. Run there in safety. Hebrews would say, come boldly to the throne. Right? And the last piece I remember hearing this, uh, hearing this saying once, and it's stuck with me ever since. The only person with the access to wake a king up at night for a glass of water is a child. Isn't that amazing? And you and I are children to the God of the universe. Stand with me this morning. If you need something, you come. As they play, just enjoy the relationship you have as a son or a daughter or God of God. You are a prince or a princess of heaven.